The Old Testament reading is the 148th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him, from, uh, praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints and for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Can you hear the music? I think uh, sometimes we hear music we don't want to hear, particularly when a neighbor turns up the stereo. Back in the day, boom boxes were a thing, and uh, sometimes uh, people just felt compelled to share their musical tastes with an entire neighborhood. I experienced that quite often when I lived in Boston and Cambridge. Um, but I'm not referring to that sort of thing. I'm referring to the fact that we live in a creation that is on an ongoing basis praising its creator. Let me uh, take you to a passage of scripture that uh, is probably uh, familiar. It's a, another psalm. It's the 19th psalm. And there in the first four verses, we read these, th these words. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now what we have here is what on the surface appears to be a paradox. Uh, on the one hand, we're told that the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork, that uh, there is speech that is pouring out on a daily basis, and yet there is no speech, nor are there words that we can hear because the voice that is speaking is not audible. Nevertheless, we get the message. We can hear the music if we have ears to hear it. There's a marvelous uh, hymn, This Is My Father's World, Many of you are familiar with it. And uh, it starts off uh, this way. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. Poetic, isn't it? I think, though, that in our day, uh, people, when they think of poetry, they don't see it as having a real essential connection to the reality that it's referring to. It's more or less some way that we can kind of allow our imaginations to wander a bit. 
But uh, what's actually being referred to here is something real. But the problem is, is that modern people who don't know how to read poetry also don't know how to read the world. We can't hear what it says. We're blind to it. There's a kind of modern uh, ailment that besets us. It's a kind of a blind spot. You can actually find a kind of an analog to it with light pollution. There's an interesting thought, light pollution. Light, you know, generally speaking, is a, a wonderful thing. I like light. I like lots of light. But there are times when there's too much light. And what I'm getting at is that on a, on a dark night, when the sky is clear and the air doesn't you know, have anything uh, that gets in the way in terms of humidity or whatever, you can see up above something that just takes your breath away. I've only seen it once in my life. I'm referring to the Milky Way. I remember it was an October evening in western Pennsylvania, and we were out at a campfire with a church group, and I looked up and I saw what up to that point I'd only seen in photographs, the Milky Way, stretching across the sky. And even then I, I realized that there were people once upon a time that saw it a whole lot more often than I did. People who lived in desert environments, far away from cities where there wasn't any light pollution, uh, had the pleasure of actually looking up and seeing that magnificent sight. And it does look like somebody spilled some milk across the sky. And it's a stunning sight. I don't know uh, if you've had the opportunity to see it. If you have and you'd like to compare notes, we can talk about it later. But uh, what we have in our world today is a kind of problem with hearing the creation uh, and a, a sort of discerning what it's saying to us. And there are you know, different ways in which we've developed uh, scientifically, and we know a whole lot more than people in the past. But one of the problems with our time is that we think that progress is, is kind of a, a phenomenon that doesn't have any costs. There are trade-offs in every sphere of life. And because we enjoy artificial light, there are some costs to having that uh, as available as it is to us. And one of the costs is what I just noted, an inability to look up at night and see the Milky Way stretching across the sky. And let me tell you something, when you see that sight, it's not hard to imagine that there is a God. You see it, your breath is taken away, and you hear those spheres that are being referred to in This Is My Father's World. The reference to spheres, by the way, uh, uh, is a reference to what was believed to be the case. There was a kind of uh, outlook that people had in the past, and this is one of the things that science has helped us to get past. And it, again, it's a kind of, there's, there's a, an upside to it and a downside to it, but when people would look up in uh, the past, they would see moving things, those were the planets, right? And they were moving at a different rate of speed than the fixed stars, but even the fixed stars, you could see them move across the dome above. And so it was believed that each of the spheres were crystalline and the planets were like planes. This is interesting to think about. Like when we say planet today, there's an image of a ball in outer space that comes to mind. Jupiter or Mars or something else that's been captured with a telescope, an image that's been captured with a telescope. But in the past, what they were referring to are these planes, and then there would be a light upon the plane that was moving, and then this sphere, these spheres were moving at different rates of speed, 
And that's why you know, planets moved at different rates of speed. And it was understood that there was a connection between the movements and the mathematical formulae that could be under, used to understand those movements. And anybody who knows anything about math and music knows there's a connection. And consequently, people said, there's a kind of music that is being conducted on an ongoing way over our heads all the time, but we can't hear it. But it's there. That's the origin of the image. Now, in the world that we live in today, like I noted, we know some things that people didn't know in the, about in the past. And one of the things that we know about is heat death. Another term for it is entropy. The idea that everything's kind of winding down. So science has informed us that uh, we have a very cold and lifeless future to look forward to when finally heat has died. So heat is referring to you know, uh, not just simply what we feel, but actually what's going on uh, mechanically and uh, with the physical world. And uh, someday it'll all come to an end. And corresponding to that, there's been a, a kind of malaise, you could say, when it comes to the modern outlook. Uh, if it's all kind of winding down, and uh, there's no creator behind it all, then basically uh, either uh, we find ourselves uh, without a future or we make a future for ourselves. And this is actually the impetus behind a lot of the transhumanist project. Transhumanism is sort of taking eschatology into our own hands. If God's not gonna save us, we're gonna save ourselves. We're even working on immortality. That's really at the heart of the transhumanist project. But, um, there's a whole lot of other things that kind of follow from that. There's a kind of anime, a sense of having lost our, our, our bearings and, and consequently ha don't have any sense of what's you know, true and the norms that we should uh, at, sort of live our lives by. That's what anime is referring to, ennui, a sense that it just doesn't amount to anything at all. And uh, you know, life is just one thing after another. You know, there are a couple of things that come to mind, and uh, there are ways in which we can see how this works out. Uh, at a very practical level, uh, you know, in a movie called Annie Hall, there's a, there's a character named Alvy. Now, I'm not recommending the film, but there's this particular episode. It's a, it's a Woody Allen film, by the way, just so you know. But there's this particular episode where the character that Woody is playing, uh, Alvy, as a child, is despondent. And so his mother takes him to a psychologist for treatment. And there's this dialogue that ensues. The doctor asks, why are you depressed, Albie? Uh, his mother says, it's something he read. Doctor says, something you read, huh? And then Albie says, the universe is expanding. The doctor then asks, the universe is expanding? Then Albie says, well, the universe is everything, and if it's expanding, someday it will break apart, and that will be the end of everything. And then the mother says, what is that your business? And then she says to the doctor, he stopped doing his homework. The point is, is that he has lost any sense of optimism about tomorrow. And because he's lost any optimism about tomorrow, he can't see any purpose for anything he's doing in life. And that's really where we find ourselves as a civilization right now. We've lost our sense that there is a God who is bringing into being a future that we don't have the power to bring in our, uh, into existence ourselves. It's because of that that there's a kind of despondency that's taken uh, root in uh, kind of the outlook of people, generally speaking, in our civilization. Now, uh, 
one of the problems that we have is, as a society, we know what things are made of, but we don't know what they're for. We've lost our ability to think about purposes. This brings up another fun uh, episode in, in literature, at least to me. Uh, it brings this particular episode to mind, and that's just the, the episode in which uh, Eustace Clarence Scrub has a conversation with a star. Does anybody remember this episode? So Eustace Clarence Scrub, Scrub one of the great, great names in all of literature, uh, Eustace uh, is, the story is uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, the book is entitled uh, the, uh, oh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And uh, Eustace is introduced to, to a star. And uh, Eustace, having uh, a very modern education, says to the star, in our world, said Eustace, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. And then the star, named Ramadu, responds, even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. We've lost our ability to make sense of the star statement because we don't know how to listen. There's a, a, a kind of, as I noted, modern malaise that's set in. But here, uh, in this psalm, we have something very different going on. Uh, what we have uh, is a call to sing, a call to praise the Lord. Uh, and what we have is something different than what we see in the 19th psalm. In the 19th psalm, we have uh, the voice uh, that is indicative in character saying, this is what's going on. You know, the, uh, you know heavens above proclaim God's handiwork. But here, the psalmist, David, is calling for the heavens to praise the Lord and everything else as well. Uh, what we have is uh, something that's uh, got an, an imperative tone as opposed to an indicative tone. And the imperative uh, is this call, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then so there are reasons that are given. And so what I'd like to do is take a look at this, this psalm with that in mind, look at what and who is uh, called to praise the Lord, and then the reasons that are given. So let's, let's take a look at the first six verses. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. The cosmos comes with a top, and at the very top we see the heavenly host. Now, what's being alluded to are the heavens that we can't see. Have you, you, you've probably come across that passage in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 12, verse 2, where the apostle Paul in an offhanded way, speaking in the third person says, I know a guy, I know a guy. And uh, he ascended and, uh, to the third heaven. Now, many commentators believe that he's referring to himself, and he's taken this approach in order to deflect praise. He's not intending to say that he's anything special. He's just trying to say, this is something that happened. And the third heaven is the thing that I think catches us by surprise, because when we think of heaven, we think of a heaven not a third heaven, or a second heaven, or a first heaven, or seven heavens. We don't think in those terms. We think of heaven. 
But commentators, and it's largely agreed, when we, when we see Paul refer to the third heaven, it's, the, it's that place that is beyond sight. There are heavens that we can see, but even beyond those, there's the third heaven. And that's where God resides. That's where the heavenly host resides. And by the way, the heavenly host is not a dinner party, uh, sort of people who you know, do, you know, have parties. It's, it's, a, it's a host in the sense of an army. So this is where the divine uh, entourage, the heavenly court is located, and God's uh, fighting angels uh, reside. So that's what's being referred to. And then, uh, by the way, this is something that's important for us as Christians to, to, to uh, appraise and assess as we think about ourselves in relationship to this. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, I believe it is, that we are seated with Christ in that place. We are seated with him in heavenly places. We are in the third heaven as believers already. We don't feel like it necessarily. You can wake up on a given day and say, well, this doesn't feel like heaven. <laughs> but in a very real way, because we are in Christ, we are seated with him in a heavenly place. So sometimes you have to not trust your eyes and trust what you're told. And what we're told here by the Apostle Paul is that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So that's the unseen realm, and we're told, or they are told, that they should praise the Lord. And then we're told about sun, moon, stars, in other words, the heaven that we can see. This would be referred to as the second heaven in antiquity. Those governing lights that govern our days and our nights, that give us our points of orientation to find our way around. You know, when we think about how people were able to find their way you know, on the ocean's waves and just in the deserts before they had maps and GPS and highways and all that kind of stuff. It was the stars that provided people with their orientation, helped them know where they were and where, where they were trying to get to or how to get to where they needed to get to or the direction, I should say. So there's a governing authority with, with which these, these heavenly lights order the world and they're to praise the Lord as well. So what we can see what we can't see. So the first heaven, of course, would be the clouds and the things that are uh, beneath those lights. So uh, all of those uh, beings are to praise the Lord. And then we're given a reason. We're given a reason in verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. For he commanded and they were created. You know, there are a number of things that we take for granted, and when we use the term take for granted, what does that imply? It means that we don't appreciate the significance of the thing that we take for granted. But when you look at the phrase closely, something has been granted, right? Something has been granted, and that is a gift. And what has been granted here in the creation of these things is existence itself. You ought to praise the Lord as well because what? I had a great day. Well, sure, that's good. Um, there are things that, you know, maybe if I praise the Lord about, he'll, you know, see fit to answer my prayers uh, concerning. Well, okay, I, I, that's a little bit iffy. But 
without even getting into those things, you have a reason to praise the Lord. You exist. You're not necessarily necessary. I don't know if you've realized that. You don't have to be here. I remember I had a, a, a mentor, and he taught me an important lesson uh, about how incidental we can be in an organization. He said one time he had a guy who was you know, kind of full of himself and worked for him. This mentor of mine was a, was a Fortune 500 executive and kind of worked with a lot of people. Some of the people that he had to work with he wasn't entirely interested in working with, but he needed to. But one of the guys who was really full of himself uh, he said uh, to that guy, you know, when you put your hand in a bucket of water and then take your hand out, do you leave a hole? No. You're not as important as you think you are. You and I don't have to be here. We really don't. Now, according to God's providential care of the world, we are here, but it's gratis. He doesn't owe us a thing. We owe him everything. And that begins with existence itself. You're here because God said so. And that's a good reason to praise the Lord. Um, so that's the reason that we have to sing. And so there's a, there's a reality here that's being uh, uh, stated, and that is it's not irrational to praise God. It's not just simply something that we kind of work ourselves up to do, uh, even though there is no good reason to do so. There is a really good reason to do so. You exist, I exist, and we owe our existence to God. Now let's take a look at the next section of scripture here, verses seven through 13, actually seven through 12. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his, imag his majesty is above heaven and, or above earth and heaven. So what's uh, uh, revealed here is that uh, Middle Earth ought to join in the chorus. Now, if you're familiar with the term Middle Earth, you might be thinking, what in the world does Tolkien have to do with this stuff? But uh, I want you to know that Tolkien didn't invent the term. Middle Earth is a reference to the world that we dwell in, a world that exists beneath another world, the heavens above, and above another world that we won't uh, want to go to, but uh, is real nonetheless. We live in a kind of two-story house, you could say. There's an upper story, and then there's the lower story. It's kind of like, and I've noted this before, it's kind of like that BBC television show, what's the name of that one? Uh, Downton Abbey, you know, where all of the you know, important people live upstairs and the people who serve them live downstairs. Well, that's really the way it is. You know, we have heaven above, where those flaming spirits that attend to God dwell in his presence, and then here below, we, who are made in God's image, are to rule uh, as his regents in this world below. This is the Middle Earth, Midgard, according to Norse mythology, but it's the world that we live in. Now, again, as, as modern people, when we look at this passage of Scripture and we, we, we see that, that you know, 
Things like fire and hail and wind are supposed to praise the Lord. You know, our immediate response is, well, how do they do that? They're mute. They're not even conscious. Uh, what is going on with all of that? Well, the world we live in is a poem. The word poesis, which is where we get the word poem from, literally means to make. So we live in a world that's meaningful because the one who made it had some intentions for it and made it and imbued it with meaning. And so even though it doesn't speak, it does speak, taking you back to the 19th Psalm. There's a kind of likeness or uh, uh, assonance between the things that are made and, and God's intentions so that, so that you could say that there's a kind of likeness. There are things about the world that ought to remind us of the maker. You and I, for example, we are made in what? The image of God. We're analogs, analogs of the Creator. Now, when we look at each other, we don't think about the Creator very often, and there's a reason for that. The reason is sin. <laughs> sin is the reason we don't think of that. But the, the real argument for the existence of God isn't just some abstract statement by some Christian apologist. From the very start, you and I were supposed to be the proof that there is a God. The reason why there's so much doubt is because of sin. But if things were the way they were supposed to be, and will be someday, when anyone looks at you, they'll see the Creator. That's the promise. We know that there's coming a day when we will see Him as He is and we will be like Him. That's the promise that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and in 1 John. We will see him as he is, and we will be like him. In other words, that image will be completely restored. As we are sanctified by God's grace, first of all, justified, as we're justified and we are adopted and enter into the kind of relationship that we should have with God, there's a process that begins, and we become more and more like our Creator. We are to, you know, kind of look like chips off the old block. <laughs> Right? And then the, over the course of our lives, that image is restored in us that we see in Christ. Remember when Jesus was asked, show us the Father. It was Thomas. It would be Thomas, doubting Thomas. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Like That's like not a big deal. That'll be enough. All we need to do is see the Father. And then what does the Lord say to him? He says, have I been around so long and you still don't get it? When you see me, you see the Father. So the image of God in Christ when we become Christians, begins to find its way into our lives and we uh, bear that image in ever more accurate ways as our lives are conducted. Now, the reason why we here in Middle Earth are to praise the Lord is because the Lord is exalted. He's majestic. His power, His beauty, His goodness, His truth, all of these things we can see in the things that are made, and for, that re uh, for those reasons, we should praise the Lord. So there's a good reason to praise the Lord because the Lord deserves our praise. Now, I want to just say a couple of things here before uh, I conclude. By the way, this is the last uh, sermon in this series on the, series on the Psalms. 
So this has been entitled Favorite Psalms. You know, you can look at psalms and, and you could select psalms because they're messianic, imprecatory, you know, laments. You know, there are lots of uh, criteria that uh, could be employed to select a set of psalms. Or you could just preach all the psalms and we'd be here for like three years, you know, because there are 150 you know, of them. So I decided to just say, I like that one. <laughs> and that's the only criterion. It's the whimsy of Pastor Wiley. This is the, the reason why these psalms were selected. But I want, before we finish this series on the psalms, I want to note a couple of things uh, about this psalm and just things in general. Uh, the first thing I'd like to say is that uh, there's a level to reality that's not mentioned here. Did you notice that? Well, it's the basement. It's the place where the dead dwell. And we're told in Scripture, in a number of places, that the dead do not praise the Lord. Now, I know you're thinking about the saints in heaven, but they are living in the presence of God. Remember the argument that the Sadducees made with, uh, with, uh, with, when they were addressing Jesus about the resurrection? You know, uh, you know, they provide an illustration. They say, there's this guy, you know, or this woman, she had seven husbands because each of the brothers had to marry her when you know, the other brother died, and so she had seven husbands. Then they ask, you know, who will be you know, his, her, her husband in heaven or in, in the resurrection? And Jesus just kind of rolls his eyes and says, you guys are just, you know, you're pitiful. He says, you don't know the word, you don't know the power of God. He says, and this is the argument he makes. He says, when God speaks of himself, and refers to himself, he refers to himself as what? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Present tense. They're alive. They're alive in him. That's the argument. Not, I was, but I am. And there's another interesting wrinkle, I am. So, the dead do not praise, in other words, those who do not live for the praise of God, uh, don't praise the Lord. And there are some scriptures I'd like to uh, draw, you know, sort of uh, make uh, reference to here. Where did I put that? There it is. So in Isaiah, for example, uh, in chapter 38, verse 18, uh, Isaiah says, For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down into the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. And then there are a number of other uh, references in the Psalms, 115th Psalm, 17th verse, 30th Psalm, 9th verse, Psalm 6, the 5th verse. They all say the same thing. The dead do not praise you. The dead do not praise you. Only the living do. Probably have noticed that I haven't talked about the 14th verse, which is a curious verse. Let me read it to you, and you'll see what I mean, I think. He has raised up a horn for his people. Horn? Praise for all his saints. His saints are praised? I thought we were doing the praising, not being praised. For the Lord of Israel, who are near to him, praise the Lord. Now, the reference to a horn, if you're familiar with Hebraic imagery, you know that a horn communicates strength. 
and that when a person raises his horn, he can do so in an insolent way, and that's something that can be condemned, or it can just be done in such a way so as to bring praise to God and deliver God's people and do something that serves God's interests. And that's what's being referred to here. The horn is being referred to as the king. It's the king that uh, serves God's interests. And we're told here that this horn has been raised up for his people. And as a result, what follows is praise for all his saints. Now, one of the things that is always important to keep in mind when you read Scripture, no matter if you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Uh, Augustine said, uh, you know, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And you remember on the road to Emmaus, when there are a couple of disciples that are very despondent and they're commiserating the fact that Christ had been crucified and they thought he was supposed to be the, the Messiah, the one that was going to deliver Israel. And who shows up but the Lord himself? But they don't, they don't have the ability to see him and recognize him for who he is. And it's only later when the bread is broken that their eyes are opened and they realize who's been talking to them all along. But when the conversation gets going early on and they tell the Lord you know, why they're despondent, he says, you morons. It's literally in the text. That's what it's, moron is the Greek word for fool. You morons. Haven't you read the Bible? It's all about this. And then he goes and begins with the law and the prophets and takes them through the scriptures and shows them how it was all about him from the start. And now people can get it. What does that have to do with this? The horn. The praise. Our Lord is our King, the Son of David, the one who received as his inheritance all the promises that were made to David. In fact, all the promises are a yes in Christ. Every promise. Promises made to Israel, promises to Abraham. All the promises are yes in Christ, which means that the Lord is exalted as he fulfills the will of his Father and those who believe in him share in his inheritance. Isn't that marvelous? Talk about benefiting from the curve. <laughs> you know, normally when we think about like, grading curves, we think about it in the bad sense. There's the kid who's like super smart, gets a good grade, and everybody else suffers as a result. This is, works the other way around. He has fulfilled the law. Christ has fulfilled the law. All the promises uh, that were made, he is the recipient of. But it's not just you know, the Lord who benefits, but his people who are united to him benefit as well. All those promises are yes in Christ. We are beneficiaries. And there will be a day when those who have been faithful servants of Christ hear these words. In other words, they'll be praised. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to believe that you can do things that we can't even imagine, including raise the dead, renew creation. Give us a hope in a future 
when everything around us tells us that there is no hope and there is no future. Help us, Lord, to receive once again uh, a sense of just how gratuitous just our very existence is. And if you brought us into existence once, what could possibly make it impossible for you to bring us back from the dead? Help us to believe what the world tells us is impossible. In Jesus' name, amen.